So today in part eight, I want to talk to you about this. God's view of me. Not, not me, but you. God's view of you. God's view of us. God's view of you and me. I made it personal so you'll be a, So God's view of you and me. So back in 2003... I had my third child, and we knew we were going to have more, and we ended up having five, of course. And so we needed our first SUV. So I went out, and I, you know, I studied, and I researched this before there was Internet. We didn't have Internet or cell phones. You actually had to go to places to research, you know. And so I found a Suzuki SUV. It was the cheapest one on the market, bought it brand new, and it was, we were scrunched in like this. The car seats barely fit. But there, at least there was a seatbelt for everybody. It had no room in it, but at least there was a seatbelt for the whole family. And the only thing I didn't like about it was is that there was no storage space at all. Now, we didn't have cell phones, but still there was no console to put like a pocketbook or tissue or chapstick or, or gum or whatever you carry in your car. Chain, nothing like that. All there was was this little thin area for the manual to go in, a little thin glove compartment where the manual and the registration and the, and the title, you know, that kind of the insurance paper. That's all it had. No, no storage space. It's the only thing that irritated me. We kept the SUV for six, seven years until it was paid off. We paid every single payment, six, seven years, totally paid off. Then we kept it another three or four years because we had a paid off vehicle. By the time we had it for 10 years, there was about 120,000 miles on it. So we decided to give it away and buy something else, which I always suggest Christians do. Better than trading it in if it's got over 100,000 miles, give it away. It's a great seed to sow into a single mom or single family life. Anyway, so we gave it away. And um, before we did, the person was coming to pick it up. So I thought I'm going to clean it out real good. And, you know, I went into the manual to pull out my insurance paper and my registration and get that out the way and all that. And when I opened up the manual, I saw the word storage. And I thought, well, there's probably nothing on that page at all. And I looked inside of the where it said storage, and there was a diagram of the passenger seat, and it showed that there was a drawer underneath the passenger seat. And I thought, well, that must be in the, the nicer ones, the more expensive ones. And I looked underneath, and I pulled out this deep, long, wide drawer it was spotlessly clean. I mean, it had never been used since the car had been created. That drawer had never been touched. Can you believe I had something in my possession for 10 years, but I never knew about it because I never read the manual. Nobody knows more about a thing than the one who created it. It was available to me year after year, and I was complaining, I, we don't have this, and I don't like that. And this whole time, it was there, but I never opened up the manual. Maximum performance comes from seeing God's view of me through his manual. Nobody knows more about you than the one who created you. There are features he's put inside of you like courage and a giving spirit and the ability to forgive quickly and not get offended and peace. There's all kinds of wisdom available to you on how to handle your finances. So many great things that God put inside of you before the foundation of the earth. He destined you to be his child, but you'll never know what you already have unless you're willing to open up the manual and read. You have to realize there's so many good things inside of you from God. Now, before we get into our three points, I really want you to understand something. Uh, there's something that really bothers me about a lot of preachers today. And they preach about how great we are and what we can accomplish and what we can do. But they don't talk about Jesus. So you have to realize that 90% of the Bible is who we are apart from Jesus Christ. It took humans uh, 4,200 years to finally realize they're nothing but trash apart from Jesus Christ. 
they thought for about 4,000 or so years that they could accomplish this and do this and become that. And they're smart and they're strong and they're wise. We're not. We are horrible, horrible, horrible people apart from Jesus Christ. And you have to realize it's all about him, not about you. If you make it even 1% about you, that means that you can do something to lose your position of righteousness in the kingdom of God. It's not you. It's all Jesus. 90% of the Bible is that you are filled with lust and greed and jealousy and hatred and strife and self-centeredness and selfishness. You can't go one hour without thinking a selfish thought. You are horrible. I know this is the most encouraging sermon you ever heard. You are the worst people in the universe. That's why we need Jesus. If you think that you deserve anything good, you're a liar. You don't deserve anything. I just deserve to be happy. No, you deserve hell. We actually deserve to be away from God for all of eternity. But because of what Jesus did, we don't have to live that way. But it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. You have to, you have to get in you when you leave here. It's not you. Because if you think it's you, then you're going to start comparing yourself to people. And you'll, be, um, you'll, you'll have insecurity if this person looks better than you or this person has more money than you. Or you'll start um, thinking that this Facebook page, you know, on Facebook, everything's edited. If you've ever seen a movie not edited, you think that's a horrible movie and people are fighting behind the scenes and they're firing this actor. When you watch a movie, that's a good movie. The whole thing's edited. Facebook, it's all edited. Their whole life is edited. You see them on that vacation, I can tell you, one of them probably slapped one of them the night before. The other one got drunk and was throwing up. The other one thought, I hate you and I hate you. Oh, let's put a picture of us real quick on Facebook. Okay, we're done, you know? That's what, so listen, that's what, that's what Satan, if you, if you live in the world apart from Jesus, that's what your life is like. Habakkuk 1.13 says that God is so perfect, he could not even look at you. Something had to be done for Jesus, for God to even look in your direction. See, when we think, well, I'm not that bad of a person, that's because you're comparing yourself to other people. You're not comparing. If you're going to live in heaven, you have to compare yourself to a perfect God. Perfect. Perfect. He is so perfect, he can't even look at imperfection. He could not look at you before Jesus died on the cross. Could not look at you. Uh, Romans 5, 17 says, those who receive God's grace and free gift of righteousness which is a position not a performance righteousness is not based on your performance it's based on the it's based on jesus's performance and your position if it was based on your performance that means you could do something to lose that position you can't do anything to get to that position you can't do anything to lose that position it's a free gift all you did was receive it and that's how you reign with jesus christ all you did was receive it now, last week, I know I took $100 from somebody, so I have a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up for it. I have $150, and I took it from you. Okay, so come here. So I'm going to give you this a free gift. Now, listen, it's free. You do nothing to earn it. You do nothing to deserve it. I'm giving it to you because I love you. Do you want this gift? All you have to do is receive it. In fact, you know what? I'll even come all the way to you. There you go. That's your gift because I love you just so much. Okay, now listen. Now, if she was a millionaire, she wouldn't be grateful. If she already had billions of dollars, she'd think, ah, that's no big deal. That's no big deal. See, if you think you can be a good person apart from Jesus, it's no big deal of what he did for you. The reason we have to realize who we are apart from Jesus is that so we will be grateful for what he did for us. The reason why people don't worship, they're not really that grateful. The reason they don't give, clap, sing, and they, they really think, oh, you know what, I'm okay, it's all good. But if you realize who you are apart from Jesus... 
how poor and horrible and wretched of a sinner you are. Then when you realize that he paid the ultimate price for you, you're willing to do whatever it takes to honor him and worship him because it's out of love. It's out of gratitude. So remember, he could not even look at you. Couldn't look at you. Then Jesus died on the cross for you and you received the free gift. Now watch Job 37, 36, 7. Now he doesn't even take his eyes off of you. That's how good of a job Jesus did on the cross. Now God doesn't even blink when he's looking at you. He cannot blink in your direction. If he blinked for a millisecond, this scripture would not be true. Now because of Jesus, he looks at you. He holds you. He talks to you. He walks with you. Not because of you. All because of Jesus. I want you when you leave here and you listen to self-help sermons or self-help books or how great you are. you got to put all that aside and say, you know what? I am nothing without the blood of Jesus Christ in my life. Nothing. I am a dog. I'm a worm. I'm trash. I need Jesus. And until you realize that, you'll never fully be grateful for what he did for you. So I have three points for you today. They all have the letter F in them. Uh, you're used to that if you went to Myrtle Beach High School, but today it's going to be different. They're good Fs, okay? Here we go. Point number one. People ask me, there's older people that don't really get those jokes. And they say, why do you make fun of, you know, Saucony? When I went to Saucony 25 years ago, our rivals were Myrtle Beach and Conway. And nobody rivaled with Aner because there was like three people there. But, you know, but it was always, you know, we're going to fight somebody from Myrtle Beach or Conway, you know. Anyway, okay, point number one is this. God sees me forgiven. He sees me forgiven. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and take away our sins. How do I know if I've been forgiven? Here's how you know. If you've confessed that you're a sinner, Jesus, I cannot get to heaven without you. I recognize there's lust in me and greed and pride and jealousy and worry and doubt and discipline, all these problems in me. I am a sinner and I need you to forgive me. If you've done that, it's forgiven. It's done. Stop going over old history. Stop going over something that Jesus already took care of. Thank him every day for forgiving you of your sins and be done. Uh, Micah 7, 19 says that he cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. He's for, it, it's so funny. We think that whenever we mess up again or we fall into this sin again or do something bad, uh, we think that there's a file cabinet up in heaven where Jesus has all of our sins stored, right? And I say, Jesus, I can't believe I did it again. I'm so sorry. And he says, oh, John Paul, let me tell you. And he goes to the M's, because my last name's Miller, and he finds that file cabinet. He says, okay, let me see your sins, John Paul. Okay, here, let me see. Okay, back in 1987, you did that 13 times. Back in 1994, 50 times. Oh, right when you turned 21 in 2000, let me tell you, you did it 180 times, you know. That's not what he does. That's not what it is. It says in Psalms 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, and this is not talking spherically, it's talking universally, and the universe never ends. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, there's a few things the enemy lies to you about when you sin, and here's some things he does. First of all, the enemy tries to get you to doubt your salvation. And you think, well, I can't, I've got to get re-saved again because I never thought I would do it and I did it again. I must not be saved. I've done it ten times this year. What's wrong with me? I thought I was a child of God. I'm like, no, that's a lie from Satan. That's a lie from Satan. That will keep you discouraged and living guilty and condemned. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Here's the other thing he does. Um, he gets you to stop worshiping and stop giving and stop serving with an enthusiastic heart. Because you're so focused on your sin. 
Uh, I'll prove to you in a sermon upcoming that the reason why people don't worship and clap and sing the fans because they're focused on themselves, not Jesus. When you're focused on yourselves, you'll never measure up. When you're focused on Jesus, you realize he measured up for you, so you worship. While we don't lift our hands because we've had a really great week, we lift our hands because Jesus had a really great life. That's why we lift our hands. So, second thing, the third thing is this. Um, he tells you you lost your position of righteousness. You're no longer a child. That position that you were in, you lost it because you did that horrible sin. Listen, you didn't do anything good to get there. So you can't do anything bad to lose there. It's a free gift of what Jesus did. Because of what he did, that's why you're there. So as long as Jesus did okay, you're good. And whenever you start this guilt trip and I don't deserve this and I'm so bad and all this kind of stuff, you're negating the cross. You're saying what you did for me on the cross wasn't good enough. Now i got to pay you back. Now i got to feel guilty for three weeks if it was a really bad sin. i got to feel guilty for three days if I just cuss somebody out. You know, I'll feel guilty for two minutes if I run somebody off the road because they're going too slow. And you have all these things, you know. I, you know, I flick them off because they had a North Carolina tag. Whatever it is you do, you think, okay. You're saying, Jesus, what you did, it wasn't good enough. Now I have to pay for the sin. You said you paid for it, but you know what? I don't think you paid for this. What I did was too horrible. Now, that's not how we're, here's the fourth thing that Satan does to you. He makes you have unrealistic expectations. Okay, God, I promise I'll never do that again. If you forgive me this last time, that's it, I'm done. I'll never fall into that the rest of my life. How many of you have made an unrealistic expectation like that? I know you have. Don't lie. I know if I have, I know y'all have. <laughs> I said, oh, God, I promise I'll never do it again. You know, when he told us to put on the full armor of God every day, one of those pieces of the armor is in Ephesians 6.14. It is called the breastplate of righteousness or the breastplate of God's approval. Let me ask you a question. If a Roman soldier were perfect, I mean perfect, if he knew just when to jab, just when to block, if he was a perfect soldier, would he need something to cover up his heart? Jesus knew he were not going to be perfect. He knew you were human. That's why he died on the cross. If there was any way that you could be a perfect soldier, he wouldn't have died on the cross. But because he knew what you were going to face every day in this fallen world, he said, every single day, cover up your heart with my approval. Every day we say, Lord, thank you that you've approved and accepted me because of what Jesus did in my life. Isaiah 53, 6 says, God laid all of our sin on Jesus instead of us. So don't think the sin just got disintegrated. It was taken care of by Jesus. It was taken care of by Jesus. Um, how many times have we allowed a sin that was already taken care of on the cross 2,000 years ago to steal our confidence? How many times has a sin that Jesus already shed his blood for cause us to not pray fervently or strongly or with boldness? With boldness, with assurance that because of what Jesus did and God loves me, he will answer this prayer. Oh, I was too bad the other day. I shouldn't pray right now. That's why you should pray. Never stop confessing that you need Jesus in your life. Um, there are these three older sisters that live together because their husbands all died. One was 92, one was 94, and one was 96. And one day the 96-year-old was drawing a bath, and she put one leg in the bathtub, and all of a sudden she stopped and said, Hey! I can't remember if I was getting in or getting out. The 94-year-old sister was downstairs. She said, I'll come give you a hand. And she went halfway up the stairs and she stopped. 
said, I can't remember if I was going up or if I was going down. The 92-year-old sister was in the kitchen making a sandwich, and she said, oh, I am so thankful that I'm not forgetful like y'all are. And she knocked on wood for good luck and said, I'm going to come help both of you as soon as I see who's at the front door. <laughs> Listen, that's the kind of attitude we should have towards something that Jesus already took care of in our life. Forget about it. Bury it. Have a funeral. It's done. It's over. You're forgiven. Amen? Okay, number two is this. God sees me as family. He sees me as family. Ephesians 1, 4 says he chose us for himself. He chose us. We were chosen. He picked us out before the foundation of the world, and he destined us to be adopted as his own children. Now, I want to teach you a theological and a governmental truth, but a theological truth, okay? And I realize sometimes us preachers get this backwards. Uh, we say things a little bit differently, but that's okay. But theologically, children do not adopt parents. Parents adopt children. Um, no child has lined up a bunch of parents, you know, on the side of a fence and said, okay, I want you as my mom and I want you as my dad. That's not how it works. Uh, children do not choose parents. Parents adopt children. The parent chooses the child. You did not choose God. Now, I know we preach, you know, choose Jesus and, you know, choose. I know. But if you could choose God, that means that you did the first thing, that you did something. You did nothing. God chose you first. In fact, the Bible says before you were born, he already chose you. You chose to believe that he chose you. That's what salvation is. You chose to simply receive that he wanted you. He said, I want you. All you did was say, okay. You did not choose God. God chose you. Children don't choose parents. Parents choose children. That's how adoption works. Isaiah 59 2 says this. Your sin separated from God. I want you to realize before what Jesus did, um, you were rejected. You're actually born into sin. We're actually born rejected. We're born unto. Um, let, me, let me say this. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever been rejected? Have you ever really wanted to be in someone's life or, and they just completely reject you. I remember uh, all growing up, my sport was soccer. I mean, I played soccer from childhood till now. I'm at, I, you know what? I thought I was 40 years old. I just realized now I'm 41. <laughs> On the way to church, something, I don't know, I was having a conversation. I can't believe I'm 41. I lost a whole year of my life today. <laughs> I thought for sure I was 40. But anyway, I've been playing soccer since I was a kid, even till now. I coach soccer, love soccer. So all growing up, I was like the team captain, you know, at recess time to choose who I want on my team. But when it came time for football in like fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, I never did like football because I remember one time in like third grade, a kid's tooth came flying out of his head. And I said, I'll never play football my whole life. So if they pass me the ball, I just get rid of it. I don't want the ball. Don't tackle me. I'm not playing. So I was the last to get chosen. When it was time to play football, they'd line all of us kids on the fence and they'd say, I want you and I want you and I want you. And it'd be so easy until it was down to me and one other kid. And she was on crutches and it was just <laughs> us two. And they finally said, okay, I'll take John Paul and you can take the girl, you know. So we'd go out there and play football. So I know what it's like to not get chosen, okay? Now, it says that your sins separated you. You've been separated, right? Because Now, because of what Jesus did, watch how good of a job Jesus did. Romans 8, 39. Now, nothing, not, not, not death, not, not sin. People don't go to hell for sin, just so you know. Nobody's in hell because they were bad. Nobody. And nobody's in heaven because they were good. They're in hell because they did not receive a free gift, and they're in heaven because they did receive a free gift. Nobody's in hell because they're bad. 
Nobody. Don't ever think that. Nobody's in hell because of sin. Jesus took care of the sin. They're in hell because they didn't receive this. Now, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, I have five children. They range from age like 24, 25 down to 10 or 11. I can't remember exactly because I got five. But anyway, um, but I love all of them very, very much. I love them with my whole heart. And we've been through a lot um, together since they've been on earth. Uh, I, they're all doing great now. They're all doing great. But there's times where I've had a child that's actually spit in my face before. I've had a child punch a hole in the wall of my house. I've had a child hit me before with all of their strength. Um, I've had one of my children cuss me out. I've had them steal from me, lie, um, just the most horrible things, wreck cars, um, been through so much, drugs, I mean, you name it. We've taken them on prison tours, you know, uh, to show what all the other kids, if you, if you keep going down the path, this is where you're going to be. We've spent thousands of dollars on counseling. They're all doing great now. But why in the world would I continue to try to help them through all of that? Why would I still want to bless them? Why would I still love them after all they've done? In fact, I remember one time, I can remember I got punched in the face or spit on or whatever. And I thought, man, oh, you're gonna, your life is going to be hell now. I mean, you just... You, and two hours later, I'm like, hey, you want a pizza? What, can I, what do you want? you want? Can I order us a pizza? You want to hang out together? It's like my, there's something in my heart that no matter what they do, I still want them and love them. Do you know why that is? Because they belong to me. Because they're mine. Because I'm their father. It's something instilled in me. Because they belong to me, I will always want what's best. I will always want to be with them. I'll always want to hold them and kiss them and love them. Is it, is, is it because they're, you know, they're all handsome and, and, and Salem and all just beautiful? What if they weren't? Would I still love them? Yes. What if it's because they're all smart? You know, if, if they weren't, would I still love them? Of course. It's because they belong to me. Because I'm their father. Um, Romans 5 says this. While we were still spitting in God's face, before you ever lifted your hands to worship, before you ever gave a dime to the kingdom, before you ever learned how to forgive, before you ever did anything good, while you were still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for you. While you were still punching him in the face, while you were still punching, while you were still abusing the earth that he gave you, while you were still a sinner, he loved you so much, he died you. I want you to picture whose child you were before you were God's child. It's very important you understand this. It's like God went to the adoption agency of the world and he pointed to you and said, I want this little girl and I want this little boy here and I want her and I want him. And then Satan said, no, 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 no. I don't know how they got mixed up in this crowd. You can't have them. They belong to me. God said, but Satan, I want them. I want them as my children. I want to be in their life. Said Satan said, no, 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 no. They're mine. They're mine. See, God knew what type of father Satan was to you. He knew that Satan was a liar to his children and that Satan deceives us into comparing ourselves to other people and always keeps us insecure and fearful and afraid and doubting. He knew what type of father Satan was. So God said, I want them as my child. And Satan said, OK, I'll make you a deal. I'll give you these children. 
but you have to give me your only little boy. You got one child. If you want any more, you got to give me yours. But let me make it clear to you what I'm going to do to him. I'm going to abuse him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I'm going to shove a crown of thorns in his skull until blood is pouring down his face. I'm going to put nails into his feet and his hands. I'm going to shove a spear into his side. I'm going to strip him down. I'm going to make the whole world reject him. He'll be rejected by everybody who he's given his life for. He's going to get punched. He's going to bleed all over the place. Do you still want those little boys and little girls? And our father said, yes. You have to realize, 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with the price. See, your salvation, your grace, you being a child of God, it's free, but it wasn't cheap. It's free for you, but it cost somebody something. It cost them every drop of blood in his whole body. It cost someone their life. It's free for you, but it was not cheap. That's why you can be a child of God. Number three is this. God sees my future. He sees my future. Uh, Jeremiah 20 and 11. The thoughts and plans I have for you, says the Lord, are for health, peace, prosperity, and a future of hope and not for evil. How could you want to, why would you ever want to reject that? The one that created you says in the manual for you, he's got a good future for you. Why would you ever turn that down? You know, the famous artist Michelangelo, he was um, working on, on one of the most famous sculpt, um, sculptures, in the, sculptures in the world called the angel. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. A uh, big, white, beautiful angel made of stone. And as Michelangelo's chipping away at this, this rock, story says that these bystanders came through and they said, um, why are you wasting your time on that old, dirty piece of rock? And Michelangelo stopped what he was doing and in all seriousness, he, he said, uh, I see an angel trapped on the inside of this rock. And I'm doing my best to get him out. And I feel like when we go through things in life, you just got to picture God is just chiseling away at our pride and chiseling away at our greed and chiseling away at our unforgiveness. And he sees something inside of us that we don't even see in ourselves. And we wonder why we're going through this and having to face that. He's simply trying to get the angel out from the inside. Um, one time, I'll close with this, but uh, Israel was surrounded by the Midianites. The Midianites were an evil army trying to take over Israel. They were outnumbered. There were hundreds of thousands of them. But not to worry because there was a teenager nearby. Isn't that who you're looking for whenever everything's come to naught and your whole country's surrounded by an evil invasion army? You're looking for the nearest teenager, right? Guess where the nearest teenager was at? It says in Judges 6, 11 that Gideon was hiding in the wine press from the Midianites. That's where you want to go. If you're going to get trapped somewhere for three or four weeks, you go where they're keeping the liquor, right? Just hide there. I'm sure it'll be okay, you know. So that's what Gideon was doing. Now, I want to tie this into my uh, LGBT sermon last, last week and just listen to this. Gideon was acting based on how he felt. Everything inside of him said, be afraid. Everything inside of him said, you could die. Everything inside of him said, this is the end of your life. So he acted based on that. He was living in fear. But I want you to see how his father, God, saw him. It says in verse 12, the Lord's angel appeared and said, Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of fearless courage. Go and save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. God told him, I want you to raise up an army and fight against the Midianites. Here's the problem. He was a scaredy cat. He was afraid. 
He, didn't, he, he was not getting chosen to play football. That was the last thing he was getting chosen to do. He was hiding in the wine press, and God said, you're fearless, you're courageous, and you're mighty. And God called him that before he ever did anything courageous. He never parted a Red Sea like Moses, never defeated a giant like David, never raised a boy from the dead like Elijah. Nothing. He did nothing. He was a teenager who was afraid. And here was his response. I want you to notice by his response, he's putting more value on society than God. He hadn't been reading the manual. Let's put it that way. He did not read the manual. Because verse 15, he said this, how can I do what you're asking me to do? Here's why. My family's the poorest. Financially, we can't do it. I am the least important. I'm not popular. Kids at school make fun of me. I don't get any likes on Facebook. I don't have any friends. And here's the third part. I'm the smallest member. Physically challenged. Isn't that what society says? You need money. You need to look a certain way, be physically. And then you need to have enough popularity where the whole world can approve of you. Then you'll be able to do great things. There's a conflicting report here. Somebody's telling a lie. Somebody's lying. In fact, let me say it. In every situation in life, you either believe the word of God or you believe something else. And whatever you believe that's not the word of God is the lie. So Gideon had to make a decision. Who's he going to believe? Is he going to believe what God said about him and how God sees him? Or is he going to believe what the world says about him? God calls you by your destiny. The world calls you by your struggle. God will always call you by your destiny. And the world will always call you by what you struggle with. Do you know the first person that Gideon heard call him mighty, fearless, and courageous was his heavenly father? In fact, his earthly dad was an idol worshiper. And I don't know what your earthly parents said or did not say to you. But don't ever let that distort your view of how God sees you. Because people, they'll, 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 they, they call us things because they're in pain or they're going through stuff. Don't ever let, and no per, there's no such thing as a perfect parent other than God. Don't ever let what a mom or a dad did or did not do, or a grandparent or whatever, don't ever let that make you see yourself and try to prove something to them. You have nothing to prove to them at all. You're a child of God before you were ever a child of anybody else. Amen. So Gideon, um, he, did, he, he, he believed. He simply believed one day he's hiding in a wine press. The next day he takes 300 men, 300, and he goes up against over 100,000 enemy troops, and he wins the battle. When it's all said and done in Judges 7.20, the people shouted, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. Nobody knows more about something than the one who created it. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, there's another translation it says this. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I called you. In Jeremiah's case, to be a prophet to the nation. There's a plan that God had for your life before you were born. Now, I had no idea how I was going to end this sermon until last night. Usually by Monday night, I write my ending and my beginning. And then I fill in the middle all through the week. I had no idea. And then last night, I said, God, how do I end this? What do I say? And he said, well, there's a true story that I knew. To, he said, just tell them this true story. So, true story. In the 70s, uh, there was a prophet named Bill Hammond. Here's a picture of him up there. Uh, very famous prophet. He went to a bunch of charismatic churches all through Eastern Seaboard. He prophesied. Very similar to Jim Riley, who we had Wednesday night, which, oh, Wednesday night was one of the greatest prophetic services ever. I love hearing y'all's prophecies so much. 
as he's prophesying and so forth. And um, Bill Hammond visited a, a very large charismatic church here in South Carolina. And here's a picture of the actual church with the people actually in it. And he's going through, he's prophesying to one or the other. And he came across a young lady um, in, her, in her 20s. This was in the 70s. And this is a picture of the young lady who he went up to. And he told her, he said, uh, you're going to have three children. The first will be a preacher. Second will be a teacher. And the third will be a worshiper. And um, she got married. And she had three children. And her third child, her, 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 her youngest one, um, she was a worshiper. She danced in church, you know, liturgical dances and all growing up. And, and the second one, the middle child, um, he's got degree after degree after degree after degree. Loves going to college. And one day he's going to be a professor is his goal. But the third one, the third one had a lot of problems. Here's a picture of the third one actually being dedicated as a baby um, in that same church. And um, all growing up, this mom said probably a thousand times over again, God told me, preacher, teacher, and worshiper. We'd hear it over and over and over and over and over again. All my, in, 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 when I was in jail, I remember the phrase, preacher, teacher, and worshiper. Whenever I was immoral, preacher, teacher, and worshiper, on and on, even to this day, my mom says it to us at least once a month. When I was in my early 20s, this prophet came to our church. He told me I'd have three kids. The first one will be a preacher, second a teacher, and the third one a worshiper. Do you know no matter what's happened in my life, the ebb and flow up and down, I can tell you in the back of my mind, I've always heard, God told me in my 20s, I was sitting in that church. It was filled with people. Bill Hammond came right up to me. He pointed to me and said, you're going to have three kids, a preacher, a teacher, and a worshiper. Here I am, 41 years old, <laughs> and it still rings in my ears. Preacher, teacher, and then a worshiper. When you hear, thank you, God, yes. When you hear God call you what you are. It's totally up to you whether you're going to receive it or not. But I'm telling you, if you would get in the word and hear God speak to you, no matter where you're at in life, it'll carry with you. He's got a plan. You're part of the family and you've been forgiven. Amen.